On today's episode, we have one of our favorite opposing counsel, Megan Spomer, and we're going to talk about how not to be an asshole and how not to be lazy. (laughs) Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. They're a league of lady lawyers in an all-female law firm in Omaha, Nebraska called Hightower Rough Law. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of what it's like to be a lady lawyer and an entrepreneur. Now it's time to talk about the law, share real-life stories about representing clients, and discuss the current events of the week. It's the Lady Lawyer League podcast with Susan Ruff and Tracy Hightower-Henny. Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. We have coffee sticks in our mouth. And Megan Spomer. And Megan Spomer's here. Hello. Hi, Megan. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Susan. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Megan and I, how do we know you, Megan? Like cases? Like did we meet socially? I don't even remember. I don't really know how we met. Um, Yeah, what was our first meeting? So it's my 10th year practicing and we've known. Congratulations. Thank you. Are you going to buy yourself? Which means you have 30 more years to pay off your student loans. Right. (laughs) They haven't been paid off at all yet, even though you've been paying. No, and I've been ignoring them for the last two years. Thank you, Joe Biden. COVID (laughs) relief. And it keeps getting extended. I just hope it gets extended again and again and again until it's just gone yeah um i mean basically with my student loan payment i could have a whole other house payment so oh yeah oh, sure. that. well fun fact megan is also married to an attorney so she probably has like the double student loans oh yeah you could have two extra houses yes we do have double student loans and my husband uh my my dear husband he worked for uh uno for a long time and made zero dollars and so we <laughs> that loan like got bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> so he's maybe in the net positive now no oh still not okay. no we'll die we'll die with these it'll be fine it's perfect fine. are his for in the the COVID relief also? Yes. Okay. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Mine are not. I am too old. <laughs> I am too old. But you said you've been practicing 10 years? It's 10 years this year. Have you always been in the family law realm? I've been family law adjacent. I was, for the first four years of my career, a child support enforcement attorney uh, at Young Williams in Douglas County. And then uh, in that fourth year, I left and went into private practice, and I've been doing exclusively family law since then. Are you crazy yet? <laughs> I've always Do you been feel crazy. crazy? Oh, you were. You started crazy. I started crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you are the definition of crazy, aren't we all in this yeah. room? Yeah, totally. So currently, your practice is mostly divorce cases. Mostly divorce, uh, some paternity, some custody. I, I don't do a whole lot of just child support anymore. Yeah. They usually come with custody issues. Um, but my mediation practice has really grown, and I've I've enjoyed transitioning a good chunk of it to less litigious matters. That's kind of a good umbrella for our conversation today. Yeah, because when you do family law, there's always an opposing counsel. And if there's not... Then there's a pro se party on the other side, which might be worse than the opposing counsel. Almost always. <laughs> yeah. What? So I have to email you these documents? <laughs> I have to sign things? What? I don't even use email. What does yeah. default mean? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the defendant? I have to go what to court? What? Even well, though- there are some opposing counsels that ask those questions, too. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Can I fax that to you? No. no. You can email <sighs> it or bring it to my office. Our faxes are emails. Yes. So, I, fine. Fax me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fax away. <laughs> so, we wanted to have Megan on to talk about what it's like to work with another attorney on a family law or divorce case and kind of like lift the veil and say, 
we can get along. We can be professional, collegial, and we can also even be friends and we still can do our job as normal human beings yeah. with an opposing counsel. And I think one of the biggest things is like, how do we talk to our clients when we are friends with opposing counsel? Because sometimes it can bite us later when we have an opposing counsel who's friends with us. And we may describe our relationship with opposing counsel as, I'm friends with Megan. And then later, the second that something doesn't go our client's way, they're like, that's because you're friends with Megan. <laughs> yes, that's exactly why. Yeah. Yes, we are We are colluding. Colluding <laughs> to, to ruin your case. No, it can be a challenge. And I think a lot of it comes down to like, trusting your gut about the client sitting in front of you and it's hard because you've met this person for maybe half an hour or an hour um, and I found that it's if you can approach it with like a hey I, I, I have a good working relationship with this person or I, I work frequently with them we we communicate well if you use words like that um, that can kind of signal to the client that things can go in a in a direction that's much more positive for them um, because it doesn't always go that way yeah, <clears throat> and I think the minute that our client says, you're working against me with opposing counsel, it's like that's with, where we question I'm withdrawing. Now. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to now take this relationship and end it. Yes. Yeah. Well, and there's really only one way to get the case done smoothly, yeah. and that's working with the other person. It's not yeah. against the client to try to get things done efficiently. Yeah. No, and, and especially in this area of the law where this is oftentimes the only time they've ever had a lawyer or yeah. working on a case, it can seem like the relationship with opposing counsel is creating more cost. What they don't understand is the more time I spend on the phone with opposing counsel, the more is getting done and the less time I'm going to be spending preparing for a trial. Right. Right. We're not just like chit chatting on the phone with opposing counsel most of the time. I mean, sometimes we are, but we don't bill for that. Well, yeah. Right. And we're definitely not colluding <laughs> against our clients. Like, hey, Certainly. Megan, we have this case together. Like, let's work together to screw both of our clients. <laughs> Do you think, though? <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a great way to build your reputation. Exactly. I think the stories that people hear from their friends and family about divorce and like other people's experience with divorce are the shitty cases, right? They're hearing the really bad. The worst of the worst. Yeah. And so then they are not understanding that a case can be easy because no one's telling those stories to them, right? Their neighbors and their friends aren't talking about their easy divorce cases. Right. So when we have clients that say, well, you know, you you are being too nice to opposing counsel. I need you to be more aggressive. Well, I think the answer to that is I'm not the opposing counsel's enemy. This isn't our case. There is absolutely no reason under the sun why I can't remain friendly with opposing counsel because you and your ex-spouse aren't currently getting along. In fact, I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't trying yeah. to remove myself from, from that hostility and have a constructive conversation with the other side through counsel. That's exactly why they've they've hired a lawyer is to do that, not to not to be their louder voice than what they're already using. <laughs> Oftentimes being the loudest voice doesn't get you anywhere in court. No. No, it might get you kicked out though. Yeah. <laughs> it might get you out in the hallway. That's where it will go. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about like how do we describe our relationship with opposing counsel to our clients to kind of help set them up for the case and we've decided that maybe saying oh well, I'm friends with Megan like we go to happy hour and we go to like we probably don't say that right we because that does tend to 
maybe create some distrust. Mm-hmm. So we say things like, well, I've worked with Megan before and she's um, easy to work with. She will return phone calls timely. She will respond. She's not going to file frivolous motions. I think what happens for me during a consultation, if we don't know yet who opposing counsel is, because maybe we're going to be the filing party, I will tell my client, as soon as I know who opposing counsel is, I can tell you exactly how this case is going to go. You know, our experience is that we pretty much know the family law attorneys in town, and we know if not naming names, so-and-so is on the side, on the other side, um, the case is gonna be long and litigious and is going to trial, or if so-and-so is on the other side, this case might get settled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, I mean, being friendly with opposing counsel doesn't guarantee settlement, but it gives the clients a much better shot at getting to a, an agreeable resolution that they're both satisfied with. Yeah. And I don't use the word happy, because no one's ever happy. No one's happy. No one's happy at the end, but we want them at least satisfied and feeling like the result is at least fair. Um, and having someone on the other side that you can work well with and have constructive conversations with that, that don't go off into crazy town, um, that really does serve the client's interests at the end of the day. My client just said to me the other day, I mean, if we settle this case, I know you won't make as much money. And I was like, whoa, hold on. I actually prefer the cases get settled. And frankly, your case is going to be a shit show if it goes to trial. So I would really like this to settle. I don't need your extra money. Right. I mean, and and that's the beauty of of having, we have a really good family law bar in town. And for the most part, most of us get along 95% of it is. And do a good job. And because we do a good job, I think we all have enough work that we don't need to drive our cases, you know, our cases to trial. I think we'd all prefer to settle. One, it lets us have more clients because we're not spending all our time preparing for trial and we have happier clients. Yeah. Well, and the bench, meaning the judges, really put the onus on us to settle cases. (laughs) If we, as the family law bar in Nebraska or in Omaha, took more cases to trial, the bench would, I I think, put more pressure on us Mm -hmm. to settle the cases. You know, one thing I talk to potential clients about when I know that there's a difficult attorney on the other side is I evaluate with them how much client control the other attorney has over over the person that they're going to be representing. And when I say client control, I don't mean you make all the decisions and you tell the client what to do, but you communicate expectations in a way that helps the client understand what the likely outcome is gonna be so that they don't take unreasonable positions. And there are those lawyers out there that not only are they difficult humans to work with, but they have zero (laughs) client control and they don't set reasonable expectations. So their client just expects to get everything they want and, and no boundaries or compromise are ever entered into. So For, when I when I use the phrase client control, because I also use that often to describe the lack of control that opposing counsel has, like you're describing, but I never use it to describe what I'm doing to my client. No, of course not. <laughs> because my client in, is being controlled by me, and that's part of my job. But I don't use that to explain it to my client. I just got a settlement offer. To, this is like reasonable expectation and client control. I got a settlement offer where it's you know a 25-year marriage, mm-hmm. Um, and they had one house and the husband still lives in the house and the husband's attorney said, well, the house is not a marital asset <laughs> because the You're husband wrong. the husband owned it before the marriage. And I was like, and my client immediately like head on fire, like, oh my God, what, what, la, la, you know? And so, you know, explaining, well, there is some premarital value that he has, but to just claim that this house is 
not marital. Like what? And this other attorney, she knows better. She knows that that's not true. So it's like, that's what her client wants, and that's what he's put all over his discovery. You know that this house is mine; it's not hers. She can't have any of it. It's like, yeah. And you go to trial, and the judge is going to look at both of you like you have six heads. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we're course, fighting about this, right? Like, oh, okay, fine. Like you said, a portion might be premarital. That feels easy enough to yeah. discern. And then the rest is going to be split with the marital estate. And the fact that we're here is making me angry. Yeah. <laughs> Those, it's the black and white cases, I think, that is like, add up the debts and assets, divide by two, distribute, and those cases that don't get settled are the ones that the judges look at you like, are you kidding me right now? Why are you here? A total side tangent, but the the judges, I think, can do so much more to incentivize some of these difficult attorneys to settle. Um, there is such a lack of like award of attorney's fees in these cases. And, and I, I will give major props to one of the newer judges who awarded me like $20,000 in attorney's fees once it was determined no way. that the other side didn't make a single settlement offer and ignored several from us. Hmm. And if more of the judges do that, yeah, we, I think, will see much more cooperative opposing counsel. Wow. Twenty thousand dollars. Twenty thousand dollars. That's amazing. We asked for forty. <laughs> for listeners, Shoot, the attorneys hi. don't get to keep those attorneys' fees. They no, ha- they have to go back to the client or pay the attorney's outstanding bill. Exactly. Yes, yeah. my client had paid me, and so all that money went to her. Yeah, and she was very pleased with that result. I once had an attorney fee award awarded against my client, so my client had to pay the attorney's fee. She was making twelve dollars an hour, oh, and judge, we won't say his name um was he's mad still on at, the bench <clears throat> he's still on the bench um was mad at some things she did and she was like 25 and at the end of the case he brought us back and said I, i'm gonna give you the decision on the record you know weeks after the trial and he said and ma'am i'm gonna order you to pay ten thousand dollars of attorney i thought it was 20 i think it was ten thousand and at my jaw dropped i've never had like the cartoon drop of jaw but it was like and the judge looked at me and was like, "Miss Hightower, I can see that you're shocked by this, but that's because your client did such and such." Didn't and I was she like, move with the kid? Yeah. And then, it, I mean, it was like just far enough away that it like kind of messed with parenting time, but not so far away. Yeah. And it was with an opposing counsel who I despise, and I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me right now? Yeah. He's getting that money. No like, way. This feels really yucky, Judge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah." So I object on the grounds that it's icky. Yeah. <laughs> I object. I don't know why, but I do. The, the, okay. Side note too. A judge one time asked me what the basis of my objection was. And I just said, I'm just objecting. Because <laughs> I didn't really have one. But you know how sometimes you have to object. Yeah, for I listeners. For the record. If you're ever like it. representing yourself or if you're a lawyer and you make an objection, you have to follow up with the reason for your yeah. objection. You don't just get to say objection. Much less what they do in the movies. So you have to have objection hearsay objection relevance and so if you just say objection the judge is waiting for your reason and sometimes you don't have one you just want to object i don't like his face (laughs) (laughs) this is a super good segue into like the next area that we're talking about which is like how not to take cases personally (laughs) yes how because really it seems like that's what these jerk attorneys are doing is they're either taking it personally and they're like attacking you or they're attacking your client or they're like 
well, I have this jerkwad reputation to uphold that I am like this tough guy. And so I'm going to do everything I can to continue my tough guy reputation. And that's the question. Are they intentionally being an asshole or are they lazy or is it a combination of both? Yeah, and all of those are frustrating to deal with, but in very different ways. Yeah. You know, some of the attorneys, and they are primarily men, older men. She said it. (laughs) (laughs) But we took a vote earlier and we all were in agreement. (laughs) You know, they they want, it's this chest pounding, absurd, aggressive approach to cases from the very beginning. Yeah. Right? It's one thing, like... Cases kind of go down that road sometimes, but there there are those attorneys that that is just their, that's their thing, and yep. they're proud of it, and that's fine. But at least you know that going into it, and you can prepare your client for what that's going to look like. Um, I think what's more frustrating, honestly, is when you have an attorney that you know knows better, but for whatever reason is taking things so personally that they're not thinking straight, and yeah. they're not giving rational advice. I mean, the most- And then the minute you point that out to them, then they get even oh, then like they spin out. more angry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it makes it so that you just can't have rational settlement negotiations. Right. So it's very, very frustrating. And, and that's, we're not doing our jobs if we're doing that. If we're letting our clients' emotions or the facts of the case drive us to a place where we can't filter through that and give objective, rational advice, we are not serving our clients. Right. And I think oftentimes the attorneys that take the cases personally get so wrapped up in what is the judge going to think of me if I'm bringing this bad client to them and I think most judges realize this is not a reflection of us as lawyers of what our client did Mm -hmm. you know I think um we're pretty lucky in that most of the time we end up with the client who hasn't done something bad Mm -hmm. if they're phenomenon I truly think that attorneys attract clients who are similar in personality than them Hmm. I think that's probably true. Jerkwad clients get jerkwad lawyers. Yeah, and and, uh, anecdotally, I mean, I think that's true. And part of that is that we we communicate who we are, yeah, as people to our prospective clients. And if it's not a good fit, they don't end up hiring us. Right. Um, You know, if they want somebody who's going to just pound the table and be obnoxious. I'm not that person. I'm not going to project that in my consult with the client. I'm very clear about how I handle cases and what my reputation is and that that's more valuable to me than making some silly point to opposing counsel. Um, And if that's not what they want in a lawyer, then they go elsewhere. Right. Let's talk about communication with opposing counsel. Have you ever been hung up on... Well, there's this one attorney in town, and I know we've all probably had a case with him, who doesn't ever like end the phone call with any sort of sound. His name is beep, 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 <laughs> beep, beep. And he he just hangs up that the phone. That was a toy car beep. <laughs> beep, beep. I mean, like, what's the beep? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like the derp, derp. Derp, derp works. But he like doesn't, he doesn't say like, Okay, great, Megan. I'll get back to you next week. Bye. Like he just like the he just the phone call just it's usually towards the end and it like makes sense, but there's no like. Okay, have have either of you ever hung up on another attorney? I I don't hang up on people ever, um, but I do do the whole like I don't like the way you're talking to me, or I feel like we're not getting anywhere, so I'm going to end this phone call. And then do you hang up? And I, I mean, I usually would say like goodbye. Derp derp. <laughs> <laughs> <Or whatever. laughs> How about you, Megan? I've never just hung up on somebody. Mm. 
I think I've said something similar. Like this isn't constructive. I think it's best that we take a beat and reconnect later. Um, I have I have been hung up on by uh, our so and so that we're discussing. <laughs> our bleep bleep. This was several years ago um, when I was I think still classified as a baby lawyer. And you know anyone who's practiced and as a female knows that if you're young and a woman, you are going to get condescended to regularly and by, hung up on yeah and hung up on well not necessarily hung up on definitely the first two but this was all three this was the trifecta um <laughs> he called me he was screaming at me about some case and that's what he does he just calls and yells um there was no lead-in there was no argument to be had he was it was just, like an attack yeah it was, it, i did i was ambushed Over the phone. <laughs> i was ambushed and he's, he's screaming at me and he gets to this place in the call where he says what he wants to say and he hangs up and uh, I was kind of taken aback and I sat there stunned for a second because I just was like, what just happened to me? And I called him back <laughs> and I said, so-and-so, uh, I'm really sorry. I think we got disconnected. <laughs> and I could feel the palpable rage through the phone where he goes, I was done with you. And I said, oh, well. I but you just took my call again, too, right? though. You picked up the phone and it turns out I wasn't done with you. <laughs> and he was so... He was so like, wow, no one's ever said that to me before that we actually had a conversation after that and we talked about some of the things in the case and, and made a tiny bit of progress. Um, and that's kind of just stuck with me. Mm. Was that the same person? That same, mm-hmm. same person. So I was hung up on once and it was a different person than whom, whom you're talking about. Um, male? Also a male. Okay, of course. Um, and I was so mad that he hung up on me that I slammed my phone down so hard and I was like, oh shit, I think I broke the phone. <laughs> Dial tone still there, good, because those were expensive. Um, but I called him back too because we were so close to a settlement and who knows, something was said that made him mad. And I called him back and I said, we are going to settle this case. And he was like, Is this I've- the person that works at the father's rights law firm? No. Oh, okay. <clears throat> No, um, we're not naming names. I didn't name any name of a law firm or a person. <laughs> and we ended up settling the case. Um, and it, it's just, it's so not productive to end the phone call when you're in the middle of the settlement discussion. Uh, no. Have you ever, have you ever asked someone like, hey, it seems like you're taking this personally or like, why you don't have a dog in this fight? Like, what's the deal? Like, have, have you ever thrown it at the person to see what they say? Several I times. once, and this was a woman lawyer on the other side. I once called her a bully to other women lawyers. Ooh. What was the response? Uh, I think there were there was silence, and that was pretty recent. Hmm. Um, and so now every time I see her, I wonder if she. I don't think she remembers that I called her a bully, but. She was. Well, if you're a bully, when someone calls you a bully, of course it doesn't stick in your brain, right? Right. It's gone. You don't believe it. Yeah. Now she thinks you're crazy, probably. <laughs> so I have I have a both a male and female attorney experience with this. So I was on a case for a long time, and it was kind of ridiculous. You know, the husband had an insane amount of money, like stupid level money, and my client was a stay-at-home parent. And um, he had moved to another state, and this and the local attorney, um, who, who's a who's a man, um, 
he would defend him to a point, but was just kind of like, eh, what am I going to do? Right. Well, it got to this place in the case where like I had to file a contempt against his client. And I, I like to warn opposing counsel before I do that. And I filed this contempt and something set him off and he calls me and he's so upset. And I was like, so and so, why are you so upset about this? Like, this isn't personal. And he says to me, he goes, he goes, I, th- I think these were his words. We're not friends anymore. <laughs> he broke up with you. He broke up with me. And and I was like, uh. It's like you're on the playground. Okay. And were, were you, did you consider this person your friend? Bef- I mean, we were friendly. We weren't going out for drinks or anything. You're like, we weren't friends before. Right. I was like, okay. And he ends the call. I ended up calling calling him back later that day. And he was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> So if you hang up oh. on Megan, she'll call you back. I call you back. Yeah, I call you back. I want to know what's going on there. We're not friends anymore. Have you oh repaired that relationship? Has that relationship been repaired? Because um, it's not on you to do it. Yes, and and also taken other turns. It, it mm. improved after that, and then things went a little sideways for other reasons uh-huh. um, later on. And then I, I'm actually in the middle of a case right now where opposing counsel, who's a woman. Um, represents the father and from the beginning has just been so personally invested in this case that everything that happens she takes personally and like we we just can't have constructive conversations because of it and it's just gotten to the point where I don't even I'm not going to send her emails I'm not going to call her like there's just no point and that's where you know you just then have to take your motions to court and have the judge make the decisions and I think you know that's one of the takeaways too is having trust in the attorney that you hire to know how we are as the attorney how we're going to behave with a certain opposing counsel right so Mm -hmm. it may take us being the bigger person against an aggressive opposing counsel and the client may say why aren't you being aggressive like them and you know we have to explain to our client that's not getting us anywhere and the judge is not appreciating the aggressiveness yeah And, and I'll say to my clients like think about how much I bill per hour Do you want me to spend that money having a pissing match over who's right and who's wrong and and who's meaner and who's nicer with opposing counsel? Or do you just want me to put put our legal positions on paper, file the motion, and have the hearing? Because that's a much more productive use of your money and my time than doing all of that nonsense and then still having to have the motion and the hearing. Right, right. And, you know, I think a takeaway, too, is... Our reputations are what get us our clients and what get us, you know, mm-hmm. an adequate result in court or judges knowing like when I see Megan or I see Susan or I see Tracy come into court, I know that they're going to put on a, a good case. I might not agree with everything they're saying, but I, we're not going to it's not going to be a mess. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be a clearly presented case where I'm going to understand the decisions I have before me and those reputations exist beyond that one case and there's like you know we have 30 40 clients at any given time and to continue that reputation matters you know and that right. we're none of us in this room are going to risk our reputation on that one case right and it's it's our one case with that client most likely it is one of hundreds that we're going yeah. to have with opposing counsel in our career and it's it's just so important to keep that perspective as you go through the case because you break your word once to somebody you act out once to somebody you have just permanently yeah. damaged that it's relationship. it's like a credit score it takes yeah. a long time to repair it, it. does yeah. it really does and i'll tell this story too because it's props to hightower ref um we got 
a, a huge compliment from one of the judges in Sarpy County on a case when Joy entered her appearance on something. And she and I went to court. We had a hearing. And we said to the judge, listen, Joy's, Joy's just getting in on this. Give us a chance to, to work this out before we move on the trial. And he said, you know what? Knowing both counsel, I have every confidence that you'll be able to do that. Yeah. And so being able to to have that reputation, not only with opposing counsel, but with the judges, earns yeah. you so much credibility. And when yeah. you ask for something, you get it. And when you, when you need an exception or you need a favor because you've given it, because you've been graceful to that opposing counsel because you've shown that to the court, you're, you're likely to get that in return. And that's just so valuable, not only to you professionally, but to your client in their case. Yeah, and I think maintaining integrity is the the biggest thing that, um, you know, as far as reputation goes, is mm-hmm. the most important in how our relationship with opposing counsel happens. So that's exactly right. The other thing I think is what this podcast has proven is it's like it's so good to know the reputation ahead of time of who's on the other side of the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that helps you set up, set those expectations for your client. Like, okay. I'm working with Megan. Now, we might not be able to settle this case because clients have their positions, but it's not gonna be a shit show. We're not gonna be in court for every little thing. We're gonna be able to work out agreements on at least process things. Mm-hmm. Um, but we may uh, we may still end up in front of the judge, but it'll be, it's not gonna be a bully fest or. No, and it likely won't be on everything. Right. So to the potential clients listening, if you want an aggressive bulldog, all of those you know shark phrases that you hear, that is probably not in your best interest. No. And anyone that's telling you that they had an aggressive bulldog shark lawyer paid a lot of money to have that. <laughs> they paid and a lot got of money. No, nowhere. Yeah, they paid a lot of money. They likely pissed off the judge. And they, they almost certainly ended up with the exact same result that they could have negotiated with reasonable $30,000 ago and eight months ago. Exactly. Yes. Because the law, it, this isn't rocket science, no. what we do here. I mean, it is so easy to predict the outcome of nine out of 10 cases, probably more than that. There are very few exceptions to what typically happens in in these cases. And so if your lawyer's telling you, listen, this is how this is going to go, you can either settle it now or spend another $20,000 and try it and get to the same place. And then maybe owe attorney's fees, depending on who your judge yeah. is. Um, and you go should through listen the stress of it. Yeah. yeah. The stress of trial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is how opposing counsels behave together. <laughs> we can talk about it. We we have a we have a lot more stories, but we would have to bleep out every other word. So you know, we'll save that for happy hour. So yes. thanks for listening. Thanks, Megan. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Lady Lawyer League podcast, and be sure to like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about our firm, Hightower Ref Law, please visit our website at hrlawomaha.com. We'll see you next week.